sorry. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, 19.2. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a, the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Now please look down to verse 12. John 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of pass the Passover week and about the sixth hour. That's uh, 6 a.m. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to, the, to them to be, to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness that's printed for you in your bulletin or up here on the screen. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Uh, we're in a, a little mini series here as we uh, begin in the Gospel of John. And the first thing to understand in the Gospel of John is that, that John is trying to prove, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, that Jesus is the king. Um, called in, in 2 Samuel 14, the son of God, um, the anointed one, anointed as king, or if you're speaking Greek, the Christ. Uh, because if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed king, the son, the king, that then you'll have eternal life. And so what we're doing in this, this mini-series as we start the series of the Gospel of John is bringing ourselves up to speed as to what the original readers of the Gospel of John, what the Jews who saw Jesus and listened to Jesus preach and teach, 
during Jesus' time on earth, what they understood, all coming from the Old Testament, about what a king meant to his people. And when we understand like the Jews did during Jesus' day and like the Jews did here at 90 or AD 90, 60 years after Jesus was crucified, John is writing this, what his readers understood being Jewish in background about the king. If we hear over and over in the Gospel of John, if you notice this morning in the reading, how many times the word king is mentioned and how central that is to Jesus and to him being crucified. If we just look at that and don't understand what king means, then 80% of the meaning of the Gospel of John has just passed us by. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're looking at how Jesus is king and why having a king is the gospel or is the good news, which is what the gospel means, the good news. And so in your introduction there, same as last week, we say this, a king is the good news. A king is the good news because the king accomplishes these benefits, many benefits for his people. Mark 1.15 is where Jesus comes on the scene after his baptism, after his anointing by John the Baptist as king. And God's God the Father's pronouncement that Jesus is king when he says, this is my son, quoting 2 Samuel 7.14, where the king of God's people is his son. Um, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus has had this anointing as king with his baptism and John the Baptist, and he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and then he comes out, and you've got uh, Mark chapter 1, 15. Here are the good news, Jesus says. Here are the gospel, the good news. And what is it? The kingdom of God is at hand. Um, and so the good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, how can that be unless there's a king? There hadn't been a king in Israel for 600 years. And now there was a king, and that was good news to them. Um, this is what is shouted in John chapter 12 at Palm Sunday. Um, blessed is, he comes in the name, blessed is the king of Israel, is what the people shout as they recognize the scene on Palm Sunday where the son of David is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey from the Kidron Valley, just like Solomon had done in 1 Kings 1. When David wanted to announce which one of my sons is the chosen anointed king and anoint him before everybody, he had Solomon ride up from the Kidron Valley, just like Jesus would do, into Jerusalem and then be there anointed as the new king. Um, now, one thing to understand is we go down our list and I didn't print the 10 things that you can look back to last week or the week before, the 10 benefits that we've pulled out of, of a king to God's people. Uh, we're on number six. That's why your outline starts with six uh, there. But one thing to understand about this, I was talking with one of you a bunch or one of you a bunch about this this week is this idea um, and, and we get it in sports. You know what happens at the end of a, a football season, both in college and 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 uh, uh, in the uh, in professional in the professional ranks in various sports, is coaches are fired. Why is a coach fired? Well, because he hasn't done with his team what the management, what his bosses, what those who own the team 
think he should have done. He did a bad job, but he wasn't out there playing. He could have been a bad coach and had just great players who won anyway. Um, but the coaches put on the line for having a bad team, for the team falling short of expectations. Now, if you know, if you've ever been given a simple, simple definition of sin, you know that it's an archery term that means missing the mark or falling short. And, and so this is part of the king's role in Scripture. When the king falls short or when the team, the nation of Israel, doesn't perform well, the king gets blamed. Um, now, in, in sports and various things, you see it in business as well. If a company's not performing well, the board fires the CEO and gets a new CEO. And so there's a measure in which is, that's deserved. Um, and in the Old Testament, we see this as well. Number six in your outline here to talk about this now. Having a king is the good news. Having a king is the good news, the gospel, because a king receives the punishment for our sins. This is true in the Old Testament. The king receives the punishment that the Israelites deserved for their sins. This is a principle that we see taught in the Old Testament. The, the, the king receives the punishment for the sins of the people because he is the, here's your next blank, the representative. He's the representative of God's people. Now, this ties into our what was our number one, which was two weeks ago, I think. The number one benefit of the king was the king leads the people in faithfulness. And so think of the book of Judges. They have no king. And so the refrain in the book of Judges is, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. <laughs> and so the book of Judges is, is a book about a gross immorality that's occurring in Israel. And, and the writer of, of, of Judges, who may have been Samuel, we don't know who wrote Judges, but the writer of Judges emphasizes, he gives this authorial, authorial declaration of why people were doing what was right in their own eyes instead of doing what was right in God's eyes. He gives his interjection on why the people were being oppressed over and over again. And his interjection is this, because there was no king in Israel. So the people did what was right in their own eyes. And this refrain is given after he's just recounted some grossly immoral people or grossly immoral thing that the people had done. And so one of the jobs of the king and one of the, the, uh, the things that's a, uh, one of the things that is good news about having a king is that the king leads you as one of God's people in faithfulness. And faithfulness gets the blessing of God, the favor of God, um, the good things that God wants to give you. He can give you as you're walking in covenant faithfulness with him. That doesn't mean sinlessness, but that means your goal, your aim is to follow the Lord. And when you don't, you say, oh, Lord, I blew it, but thank you for forgiving me. That's what an Israelite did. Oh, Lord, I blew it. And here's my sacrifice. Thank you for forgiving me through this sacrifice. We as Christians do that. We say, thank you for Jesus, who's covered all my transgressions here. 
Um, so, so a king is responsible for the people being faithful. So when the, 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 the king, when the people are unfaithful, whose fault is it? It's the king's fault. Now, the king hasn't done all those sins that all the people in the 12 tribes of Israel have done. He hasn't committed all those sins, but those sins are his fault. If you're the head of a group and say, I, you know, it's okay to cheat on your taxes and everyone in the group cheats on their taxes, their cheating isn't your sin, but it's your fault if you told them it's okay to cheat on your taxes. And so the king is given blame for the sins people. Their sins are placed upon him and he gets punished. He gets embarrassed. He gets shamed internationally because he did not effectively lead the people in righteousness and faithfulness to God. And he did not preside over a righteous, faithful, holy nation. And that was his job as king to lead the people in faithfulness. This is why David is such a good king. Even in his sin, he repents well. And he gives his people an example of what they were to do when they sinned. When you sin, don't run away from God. When you sin, come back to him and say, God, thank you for your forgiveness. How could I have done this? Thank you for your mercy. So Second uh, Samuel 7.14 um, gives a hint of this in what we call the Davidic covenant, God's covenant with David and David's sons, that they would forever be the kings over God's people. That includes today. Today, God's people are is the church, and our king is the son of David, Jesus. And this will forever be. So God was true to his promise in 2 Samuel Seven, But one of the things that God communicates through Nathan the prophet to David is when one of your uh, when one of your sons sins, he will be beaten with the rod of men. This is second Samuel 714. So there's this conditionality. It says, yep, your sons, there's no legitimate king except for your sons over my people from now into forever into the new heavens and new earth. But if your sons sin, they will be disciplined. And I'll discipline them with other nations, foreign nations. And so whether it's Assyria or Babylon or, hint, hint, Rome, I will punish the son of David um, for the sins that come up. So Second Chronicles 33, 11, um, this speaks of Manasseh, king of Judah, um, for 55 years in the... 600s BC, he was the one of the most wicked kings of all. Um, because of his wickedness, he's putting idols in the temple and having people worship idols inside the temple. Okay, that's King Manasseh. Uh, we didn't come across him. He's uh, later in Second Kings. Um, and God says with Manasseh, he's so wicked, there will be an exile. Mark your word. When it will come, I won't tell you. It depends on how you turn to me or not, uh, but there will be an exile. But here's what Second Chronicles 33:11 says. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh, King Manasseh, prisoner. They put a hook in his nose, okay, um, like like a, a bull, you know, a hook in the nose so you can lead the bull along. You put a, 
a, a leash in the ring, in the nose, and then you lead the, the bull along. He put it, and this is what was done when you exiled a king. You put a hook in his nose and you led him along into exile. So this happens during, during Manasseh's reign as king, and he is himself exiled. The people aren't exiled with him, just Manasseh the king in Second Kings, Second Chronicles 33, 11. Uh, so the king of uh, Assyria took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him in, with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. So see this, the son of David is punished for sins. That's an Old Testament thing. Punished for his own sins, if those be there, punished for his ineffective leadership of making, well, he was supposed to make the people faithful. See, Manasseh had told the people to worship idols inside the temple and to worship other gods, foreign gods in the temple. Um, Isaiah 53, then. Look, look in your um, bulletins to the Declaration of the Gospel. Now, you know what I do with the NIV. You know, if you pay attention, I capitalize God pronouns. The NIV doesn't. If I could change one thing about the NIV, that would be it. Uh, if you know it's talking about God, just capitalize the he and the him and the his. So I always do that for you, but I didn't capitalize them here. And here's why. This is talking about Jehoiachin, son of David, when he's led off into Babylonian exile. This is what Isaiah is talking about. This is clearly the context when you're reading Isaiah 40 through 66. This is talking about Jehoiachin. Now, calm down if you're a little bit raised up now. Jesus says in Luke 24, Moses, the law and the prophets all speak of me. But when Isaiah was speaking, he was speaking of Jehoiachin. And this happens to Jehoiachin. All of chapter 53 in Isaiah happens to Jehoiachin. This is true of Jehoiachin. It's talking about Jehoiachin. But Jehoiachin ends up, as all the Old Testament does, just being a foreshadowing of what would happen to Jesus in a greater and more significant sense. And so I want you, as we, as you look there at Isaiah 53, and what, it's why I kept the H's in lowercase. I want you to think about Jehoiachin being led into exile, just like Manasseh, his forefather, had been led into exile. I think Manasseh was his great-grandfather. Um, Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced. Nose ring. Jehoiachin. He was pierced for our transgression. The people are doing all these sins. Manasseh and Jehoiachin, they haven't committed all those sins. But those sins are placed upon the king. The people don't experience great international embarrassment. But Jehoiachin does. Dethroned from his throne in Jerusalem carried off with a nose ring in his nose, pierced for our, the sins of the Judahites in 598 BC. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, eventually they return to the promised land. All the people went into exile into Babylon, but 70 approximately years later, they return with King Darius or King Cyrus back to the promised land and have peace. But that peace was at the cost of the humiliation of their king. 
of the punishment of their king. So, again, to read that, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace, that brought us back to the promised land, where we could dwell in the promised land in peace, was upon him. And by his wounds, the nose piercing, the bruising, the being in prison, we are healed. Verse 6, we all like sheep, we all like sheep have gone astray. Even if our king was being, you know, even if Jehoiachin, not Jehoiachin reigned for like two weeks, <laughs> but, even, but, but it is declared that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But, but even if our king is doing evil, we're still responsible for being righteous. And we should say to our king, this is not how you should lead us. Um, so, you know, the, the, uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. But you see, even there like sheep, their shepherd was Jehoiachin. But we all like sheep had gone, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all should have had rings in our nose and be carried off, been carried off into Babylon in great humiliation. But our humiliation was not his humiliation. God did not hold us responsible for our sins the way he held Jehoiachin responsible for our sins. Our sins were laid upon him, and he, as our representative, he was fired. I'm on the team, and I clocked out in some of those games, but my coach got fired, and I'm still here. Get it? So that's taught in the scriptures. And this is why having a king is good news, because you're not punished as your sins deserve, as David says. But your sins are placed upon the king and it's God's design, God's economy, God's structure of how things work is that the king receives the punishment that you deserve. And so this is why having a king is good news. So this is what's going on on the cross. John 19. Who's there on the cross? The king of the Jews. Make no mistake. Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Romans spoke Latin, the, the faithful Jews spoke uh, Hebrew, and then everyone spoke Greek. Make no mistake, this is the king, and he is being punished right now. That's what's going on on the cross. And that's why it's appropriate for us to see Isaiah 53 and see Jesus in it. And Jesus told us, see me in that. But we also know it was first talking about Jehoiachin being led into exile. Jesus' exile lasted three days. Get it? Um, he's delivered into the promised land of heaven 43 days later, not 70 days later, uh, when he ascends on high. So, uh, A, there in your outline, Jesus came as a king to take the punishment. Jesus came as a king to take the punishment that each of us, that you can write in there, I, that you, that I, have earned for my sins. And Jesus has taken that punishment for my sins. If I've come, that's your, that's your blank there. If you've come to him in faith as your king. Paul states it simply in 1 Corinthians 15.3. He died for, Jesus died for our sins. Okay, so the king died for you and Jesus came to do that to give his life as a ransom for many. B. 
uh, if you've come to Jesus uh, in faith as your king, all, all, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were in Jesus' body on the cross. And those sins were punished then. Folks, that's a real event. Jesus dying on the cross. He's really receiving the wrath of his Father, like we said in our declaration of our faith this morning. Why did the Father um, pour out his wrath against his Son? Was he displeased with his Son? And the answer we gave is, no, this is how God treats the King for the sins of the people. It's what Isaiah talked about. He was punished for our transgressions. So all of your sins, past, present, and future, were in Jesus' body on the cross, as Isaiah 53 puts it. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So 1 Peter 2.24 he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross. And when he bore our sins in his body on the cross, he starts declaring things like, Father, why have you forsaken me? When he bears our sins in his body on the cross, he's given the wages for our sins, which is death. That's what's going on on the, on the cross. Um, Paul puts it this way. Peter had said, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, he became sin. Jesus did. Because he was bearing our sins. Again, today, team is bad and the coach is fired, but with Jesus... Um, there's one aspect of injustice to this. Jesus was not bad. Jesus was not faithful. In fact, his getting himself to the cross was an act of faithfulness. Luke 22, 42. Father, if it be your will, um, remove this cup from me. Take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And that cup was taking the wrath of God for the sins of the people. The cup of God's wrath being mentioned throughout Jeremiah, a little bit in Isaiah as well. Uh, punishment for sins. Um, so Jesus had no sin. Um, uh, 1 Peter 2.22 um, Our sinning our sinning was not caused by Jesus giving a bad example. Our sinning was not for Jesus being an ineffective leader. Um, as the kings of the Old Testament had been. But our sin anyway was placed upon Jesus, and he, as our king, willingly took it. Um, he came to earth to do this, to be, to be um, punished for our sins. This is why the angel of the Lord declares to Joseph, uh, when Joseph is conflicted about whether he should continue to be engaged to Mary, um, the angel says to, to Joseph, um, you will call his name Jesus, which means Savior. God saves. You call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
He takes our punishment, the punishment of his people, because he's the king. And Joseph there is, is called by the angel, Joseph, son of David. So get this, the king, the king is coming and the king is in the womb of Mary. The king will be identified as the one who saves God's people through bearing their sins. Um, the solution for our sins was given in the scriptures of the Old Testament. That is that the king would be punished for our sins. So the result for you in your life, um, see if Jesus is your king. If Jesus is your king, your sins have already been punished. And you don't have to live in fear of future punishment for your sins. All of your sins, and just think about this, we talk about this every once in a while. When Jesus died on the cross and received wrath, he was receiving wrath because your sins were in his body on the cross, and your sins were all in the future then. So it makes no sense for you to divide up your sins into the sins I've committed already, the sins I've committed today, and the sins I'll commit in the future. All of those, all the sins you will commit, all the sins you have committed, those were all future to Jesus. He knew what they would be and he took them upon himself and he suffered the wrath of the Father for your sins. So there's no punishment left for your sins because Jesus took all the punishment for all the sins that you committed. So you don't have to live in fear of final judgment. You don't have to live in fear of some future punishment for your sins. This is why Paul can say in, in Romans 8.1, that you have peace now, that you've been justified by God through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, this is why Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says that Christian people now don't live in the slavery of the fear of death. We know that death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. We, we, don't, we don't say, oh, no, oh, no. I mean, you can be... You know, that's not great news to hear that you're going to die, that you've got two days left to live. Um, but still, it's it, it, our death is into something that's better. Uh, and, and that's what undergirds us. So we don't live in fear like unbelievers around us do, in fear of death. Because when we meet the Lord, when we're face to face with him, he's already expended all his wrath against our sins 2,000 years ago. And he has nothing left for us, um, nothing left for us uh, of wrath against our sins. Um, only a good welcome. Um, so number seven now. So that's why it's good news that Jesus is a king, because the king gets the punishment. He gets the sins of us credited to him and he gets punished for our sins. That's why we want a king. That's why that's good news. Now, number seven, seventh reason why a king is good news, why Jesus declares, hear the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. Having a king, number seven, having a king is the good news, the gospel, because a king establishes and accomplishes justice. It's good news because a king establishes and accomplishes justice. Um, so we saw this in Psalm 72. That was our call to worship. And we read there, this is at the coronation of Solomon. David writes this psalm. Uh, it looks like David writes this for all the people. And all the people yell out this proclamation. 
And the verses we highlighted this morning, the proclamation, most of those verses, except at the end, they were not talking about God. They were talking about Solomon. You will give us justice. You will pay attention to the, the needy, the widow, the poor, and the orphan, and you will give them justice as you sit upon your throne. This is what the people are calling out as Solomon is being ordained as king. You can look back to that, Psalm 72. This is a psalm of Solomon or about Solomon. And it, it encapsulates all these hopes that the people have, the things that the people knew were true of a king who was faithful. And so the people uh, rise up like we during during inaugurations of, of a president if we voted for that guy. We rise up in hope and say, oh, things are going to be better now. And that's what people are doing in Psalm 72. And the things that they highlight in all these verses, verses 1 and 2 and 4 and 12 through 13, um, and, and then, uh, uh, well, 12 through 15, I think, we're all talking about justice issues. The king will provide justice uh, for the people. So that's Psalm 72. And then we see 1 Kings 3. Why is the Lord so pleased with Solomon? Because Solomon doesn't ask for, for wealth or to extract wealth from his people or to, to receive great glory. He asks for wisdom. Here are the qualification here to administer justice. This is said twice in that passage that Bob read to us. Wisdom to administer justice for the people. This was a very important thing for God. It's just that the law is a, a thing that it is administering justice to everything. One of the great differences between the law of Moses and the law of every kingdom on the face of the earth that was contemporary to the nation of Israel is that laws were in other nations tiered according to your socioeconomic status. And so if you were a king, you weren't bound by all the things that the poor people were bound to. And if you were somewhere in the middle, you weren't bound to all the things the poor people were, were bound to. This is why kings could have many wives. <laughs> Part of that in the ancient world. But what we see in Deuteronomy 17 is no, the king is to have a copy, his own copy of the law, which was an extraordinary thing. The king was to have a copy of the law and to read it all the days of his life so that he would not place himself above his brothers. And when you read the law of Moses, what you see is that whether someone has lots of money and is a, a noble or has no money, is disenfranchised, her husband has died and she's got kids um, like Lucille, right? Kenny Rogers uh, <laughs> with four hungry children and a crop in the field. Um, and, and destitute like Naomi, um, that they're treated with dignity in Israel, that you don't steal their property, their lot of land, their inheritance, just because the husband is gone, and you can. And one of the things that we see in the prophets, especially in Micah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, is that God is fuming because those who have power and money in Israel are using it in the courtroom to take away land, inheritance from the poor in Israel. And God says, you've got sacrifices for me. Leave them at home. Go treat the people, my people with justice instead. That's your sacrifice to me. That's what I want to see. Read the prophets. It comes up over and over again. Injustice to the people of God. 
abusing those who have no friends in high places. Okay, Garth Brooks there, right? Um, uh, and so God is angry and he speaks to the prophets about injustice in the land and kings who are unjust and nobles who are unjust just because they can be, because they're stronger, because they have more influence, because they have more money. And he condemns, and you can see it in, in, in uh, Ecclesiastes and, and, and Proverbs, that taking a bribe is a wicked thing. Because taking a bribe perverts justice. It causes a person who bears God's image to be treated with violence. Their things to be taken away. Their land to be taken away. Their children to be sold into servitude to pay a debt. And so God's law has different ways for the poor to be uh, rescued the generosity, the monetary generosity of God's people, or they, they, could, they could temporarily sell their land for money, but the land would return to them. It would not be taken or stolen uh, from them. Um, Jewish Christians uh, that John was writing to, things were not fair in their day. You know what the book of Acts is about? That's Theophilus, or Theophilus is being written to. Theophilus is a Roman governor. That's a Roman governor's name, and he's addressed as a Roman governor, most excellent Theophilus. That's like when we say to a judge, your honor. If you address the Roman governor, you said most excellent Festus or most excellent Felix or, Felix or most excellent Theophilus. And the book of Acts is about how God's people, the church, are the best citizens in the Roman world. Read the book of Acts and ask and answer that question every chapter. God's people, the church, they're the best Roman citizens out there. And so when you hear about Theophilus, these riots that are occurring in the cities, I want you to hear the true account of what happened. And that's what Luke does as he writes the book of Acts. He shows that it's the silversmith in Ephesus who causes the riots. It's the Jews in Damascus who caused the riot. It's the Roman uh, uh, judge or the Roman... Um, uh, 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 soldiers who take Paul into prison, even though he's a Roman citizen, they've done wrong. And as soon as any Roman official all through the book of Acts sees what is actually true about one of these Christians, they free them and they apologize to them. That's the message of Luke to Theophilus as Paul sits in a Roman prison in AD 60 to 62. So now you understand the whole book of Acts. Paul should be freed. He's been a great citizen. Read what he wrote in the book of Romans in chapter 13. He told all the Roman Christians to pay their taxes. And they do. So Jewish Christians receiving the gospel of John were the best citizens in the Roman kingdom. And you know what was happening to them? They were being put in the Roman Colosseum to be killed for sport in front of Jewish or in front of Gentile Romans. And that's kind of not just. So it's good news if a king is just. It's good news if Solomon takes over and not Saul. It's good news if there is a king 
who judges not based on appearances, not based on wealth, not based on um, lies, like we see in 1 Kings 3, but who judges according to the truth and administrates justice like Solomon did. And he knew how to figure out who's this baby's mother. The baby's mother will, will abandon her own child to let her child live. And so Solomon brings that out. That's good news for us. But the readers of the Gospel of John know, knew something that we're to know. Um, all is not fair. In the Old Testament, in the nations, things were not fair. Again, the law was, was graduated according to your socioeconomic status. And you weren't granted certain privileges in the court if you were poor. You were Jean Valjean, right? You're poor, you did it. See you later. <laughs> Send you off to... Is Monte Cristo the, the prison he goes to? Or, no, that's what he says he's from. Bob? Oh, yeah, the Island of Duff or something like that. Il Duff something. I had to read that in French class, a simplified version of that in French, French class. Um, but what about today in the world still? Think about it, the last three years. What have we talked about? Justice, justice, justice. Social justice, civil justice, and all this stuff. Has it brought more justice? No. Has it brought more unity? We're more divided. And that brings us to this. What does the Bible say you should expect in the world? in regard to justice does the fact that jesus is your king and that he is completely just mean that you will receive justice today and that all things will be fair for you today if your answer is yes to that you've left the church a long time ago because that's not true you know that's not true so a don't expect that's your blank don't expect just because jesus is just just because he is fair absolutely that's not life on earth today. So don't expect justice in the world today because the hearts of people, here's what the scriptures say, are not innocent and good. The hearts of people are not innocent and good. Some of the people screaming for justice in the last three years for us have used that for power. It's not from a good heart. Some of them have used it to feel justified themselves. I like poor people. Or I like people who don't or aren't the same race as me, and that makes me feel good. So I'm going to talk about justice. Um, some people in politics are talking about justice for people, and you know I'm a multi, multi, multi millionaire, but let's just raise taxes and have you pay for it. <laughs> let's have you pay for them. Um, so so people don't have good um, and just and innocent hearts, but they're selfish. Um, so there's an aspect, a big one, note here from this point. No, don't expect justice. People's hearts are sinful. People's hearts are not innocent. People's hearts are not good. There's an aspect in which seeking justice and fairness in this life sets you and me up for disappointment. Now, it's not that if you're in a position of authority, make things just and make things fair. If you're a coach or a boss or a supervisor or a judge or a policeman or whatever you're doing, or a father or a mother, if you're in a position of authority, make things fair. Make your little corner of the world a little more bright and just. You're called to that. 
But in the world, don't expect it. Don't expect it. If you do, you'll be disappointed. Things aren't fair. Um, people who are not Christians have a sin nature. They're not dwelled by the Holy Spirit. So even though they might speak of justice, injustice and things not being fair will be real life until you're in heaven or until Jesus comes back. Here's where scripture speaks to that. Romans 3.12, all have turned away. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's Paul speaking in Romans or Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful. It's above and beyond. The heart is. Listen to how it's above and beyond. The heart is deceitful above all things. <laughs> the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah says. Actually, the Lord says this through Jeremiah. Um, so Paul observes in Galatians 5.19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Do we have any of that today in society? I, yeah, we do. Uh, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Hatred. Any of that today? Discord. Any of that today? This is all stuff that comes from the sinful nature. And if there's no spirit of God to, to quell this, to push this down and to, to lead into the way of God, of loving one another, then this is what you get, the stuff of the sinful nature. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and the like. This is just describing society not unique to us. It's been in our society before. It's been in other societies all through history. So the Bible prepares us for life. It doesn't give us a view of believe in Jesus and everything will be fair for you. Believe in Jesus and things will be just for you. It says believe in Jesus. And by the way, here's the way you were before you came to faith in Christ when you had not the spirit. These adjectives describe your life in full. And these adjectives, adjectives describe the lives of those who don't have God's spirit, those who aren't Christians. And so the Bible, God says to you, here's what you should expect from people. In general, things are ruled by selfishness and self-interest and greed and power. Now, sometimes it's in someone's self-interest to be nice to you. Sometimes it's in someone's self-interest to be just and fair towards you. But sometimes it's not. So don't be surprised. Um, it's not that you'll never be treated fairly. You know from your life that sometimes you are. Sometimes you're treated fairly. Um, but it's that you should not be surprised knowing the heart of people that God has described for us when you aren't treated with justice, when you're not treated fairly. Jesus prepared his disciples for persecution. God as a whole in the scriptures prepares you for not being treated fairly. This is life. Things aren't fair. Things will be a mess. 
things will not treat, people will not treat you as you should be treated. They'll not be faithful to their promises. I was talking to uh, the, uh, the, a former member of our church and her husband, um, the project he was working on uh, got canceled and uh, the person in charge of the project immediately guaranteed everybody, don't worry, you're all gonna be kept on here. We'll find another project. Two weeks later, you know, a third of the people are fired. And, <laughs> you know, it's just expect it, you know? And uh, gratefully, this person was kept on, one of the people kept on. Uh, but justice and fairness comes to you. Um, uh, and when it comes to someone you care about, consider it a bonus. Okay, so that should be your perspective. This world is a wicked place and people are guided by selfishness and greed. Um, and so injustice, when fairness happens to you, consider it a bonus. So we developed it, we didn't develop, but we paid somebody to develop a new website for us. What we didn't know is when we started talking with them that the website that I managed um, auto re was set to auto renew January 14th and I, like I do with everything, I just auto renew for the maximum term. So I save $20 a year. And so January 14th, without my knowledge, because I signed up for it three years ago, we had our three-year auto renewal on our, our Wix website. That's the company name, our Wix website. So 350 bucks, three years, 350 bucks for the three years. And, and so I go, you know, now that I realize this, we get the bill for this that, oh, you paid January 14th, 350 bucks. And, and, um, and so I, I searched this out and, and it says, here's our policy. Uh, once, the, once you pay for this, you've got 14 days to get out and then we give you a full refund. After that, no refunds. Then okay, now we're three months in, right? You're four months in to, to this. And we have, an, we have a, a redirect on our old website. And so anyone who types in Clayton Church One to get to that old website that I developed, they can't even see it. It just gets, you know, to our new website, uh, ChristChurchClayton.org, and it, it shows our, our new website. So I, I um, dig, 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 dig in the website, uh, on the Wix website, uh, to see if I can talk to a human being. <laughs> right? So you know they don't want to talk to you when they, they bury that in their website. So finally I get to it, and I get to a chat, and it says, okay, we'll call you. And so I, I click the button and lo and behold, a call from San Francisco and I, I pick it up and, and I talk to somebody and the woman says, well, this is above my pay grade, but I'll, I'll put up to the people above me. Uh, anything else you want to say besides what you typed in here, which is what I just described to you. I said, no, that's good. She said, they'll get back to you. And I was like, yeah. And, uh, and the next morning I get a thing from the upper management and they said, we're giving you a prorated refund, which is exactly what I asked for. And contrary to our policy, we're granting you an exception. And so just bonus, you know, they even added in their legal stuff that they didn't have to give us anything, but that's, that's life, you know? And, and, and if we didn't get that back, it's like, you know, dummy, I should have set that in my calendar that this, or I should have thought, when's that renew coming up there? But just consider those, just consider those things a bonus when you're treated fairly. So Wix, there's your shout out. You treated people well. I was all prepared to, you know, talk to him and say, you know what, if this website doesn't work out, we're just coming back to you guys, but not if you treat us like this. But I didn't even have to say that. They just said, you know what, that's not right. We should treat this guy fairly. You know, they they're willing to pay for three months. 
we'll take that three months and we'll refund them the stuff that, that nobody's getting to. So that's great. Um, and then B, B. Um, so life won't be fair. Don't expect justice in the world, but Jesus as king, B, but Jesus as king establishes justice. Now we're going to talk about justice in three phases, which we talk about if you've been in Sunday school, you know, the ICC, you know, and how Jesus establishes justice in, in three or does things in three phases. But Jesus establishes justice. And we'll talk about the first this morning. The first is this. Jesus established I want you to notice the past tense of that. This relates to our first point, or point six. Jesus established justice against the sins of his people at the cross. So notice Jesus is being king in two ways for us here. Uh, one of the ways he was king for us is he received the punishment that we deserve. That's point six. Now he's going to be king for us and he's going to establish justice for us in a way that is good news for us. So number one, Jesus established justice against the sins of his people at the cross. A, on the cross, our king bore his people's sins. First Peter 2.24, we talked about that. B, and as our king, he suffered the penalty for our sins. Why does he do that? Because he's king... And as Solomon, he is just. He accomplishes, he receives our sins and suffers the penalty because that's just. If he's bearing our sins, our sins deserve death. And so he deserves death. So he dies because he's a just king and in his, and in his, and in his kingdom, justice happens. And so Jesus does this as an act of being Final judge, final or, or king. And that's in the system in Israel. You saw with Solomon in 1 Kings 3 that when that the king served as Supreme Court. The king wasn't seeing every case, but he would see cases that rose up to him, kind of like Moses would, you know, when he assigns the Jethro's advice assigns all the, the plurality, I think it's 70 elders, to see all the lower cases. And when things were too hard, then, you know, those very few cases came up to Moses. But the king served as Supreme Court in Israel, as kings usually did in ancient societies. They served as Supreme Court there. And so Jesus is doing his job as king. He's accomplishing justice in the cross. Um you know, as we sing in the hymn, Justice Smiles and Ask No More, as justice and mercy meet on the cross. We'll sing about that. Um, so um, Isaiah 53, 4 through 8, we see Jesus bearing our sins, enduring the penalty as a king would, but he's also sitting as Solomon, accomplishing justice dying for our sins. Notice what Paul says in Romans 3, 25 and 26. Paul says this. Notice the king and just the justice language here, the penalty language. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. <clears throat> he did this to demonstrate his justice. Why did he have Jesus go on the cross? To demonstrate his justice. God was being a just God. He was not just 
snapping his fingers and saying, the sins of my people don't exist anymore. They didn't happen. Like um, uh, in uh, Prince of Egypt, when, when uh, 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 Ramses says, it never happened. I declared it and it'll be so. Um, he doesn't do that because God is just. He doesn't leave sins unpunished. If you sinned against somebody, which you have, and it hurts somebody, that person in hell and in the lake of fire has the right to accuse God of being unfair. But God is not unfair. He punishes all sins, even sins committed against the unelect, against the most wicked. God punishes each and every sin that has ever, is ever, and will ever be committed on the face of the earth because he's just. If wrong has been done, if somebody has been violated, God meets that violation with justice, with penalty. So, Romans 3, 25 and 26. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. He did this to demonstrate his justice. He did it, in verse 26, then he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. Paul writing to in the first century. So as to be just, why is Jesus put why is Jesus put on the cross? So that God is being just. He is not changing in his attribute of being just. There's never a time when God is not just. So he did this to demonstrate his justice, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So he is just and justifier. So God punishes all sins because he's fair and is just about everything. And he punished the sins, all of them, of all his people by placing those sins on Jesus on the cross, treating Jesus as if Jesus had committed those sins. giving those sins what they deserved, death. So God is just. He's doing an act of justice as Jesus is upon the cross. Because at final judgment, your sins will not be punished. And those who haven't believed at final judgment will say, well, what about them? That's not fair. And God will respond, no, their sins have been punished already. It is fair. It would be unfair for me to punish their sins now because then I'd be punishing their sins twice as much as what they deserve and that would not be fair. Get it? Every sin gets punished. It either gets punished for God's people on Jesus because he bore all our sins. He endures all the wrath against every one of our sins. Or it gets punished upon the person himself who has not believed in Jesus. Tossed into the lake of fire forever. So hence, see, talking about this, hence at final judgment, if you believed, you won't, you won't receive justice against your sins for the justice against your sins was already doled out at the cross. So Revelation 20, 11 through 15, uh, John says, 
He has this vision of final judgment and what it will look like. And he says in verse 12, and I saw the, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, according to what they had done, each and every sin, according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So God sees everything. He's taken into account, into account every sin that's been committed. And then in verse 15, he says, and if anyone's name is not written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. And so there are two groups there. There are those whose book names are written in the book of life, whose sins have already been punished. And so at final judgment, there's no punishment for them. There's a reading of their names and a welcome. But for those whose sins have not yet been punished, they arrive at final judgment and their sins haven't been punished because they didn't believe in Jesus. Their sins were not in Jesus' body on the cross. They are punished for their own sins for according to what they had done. Absolutely fair. Not for more than they've done, but for what they have, according to what they have done and as recorded in the books. At the time it happened, it was recorded in the books. Here's the proof. We've got the log of what happened. And so it's fair, indisputably fair at final judgment. So at final judgment, you won't receive justice because your sins have already been penalized, doled out, punished at the cross. So instead, D, D, instead you receive a loving welcome by Jesus. You receive the reading of your name from the book of life. Let's see here who's in the book of life whose sins were punished by Jesus, by, upon Jesus when he died on the cross in A.D. 30 or 27. And you hear your name read. Um, a loving welcome. Here's how Jesus accounts for final judgment in Matthew 25 when he talks about it. Um, his master replied, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's your final judgment experience. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the beginning of chapter 25 of Matthew. Jesus goes on and talks more about final judgment. And in verse 34, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. Now listen to what the inheritance is. The kingdom. Da, 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 da. Your inheritance is the kingdom. There's a church in town that says your inheritance is knowing God. That's a great thing. Biblically, that's not your inheritance. Your inheritance is the kingdom. It says it in Matthew 25, 34. The kingdom is good news. Take you, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you before the creation of the world. So that's the experience of those who believed in Jesus at final judgment. No fear of death. No fear of Jesus coming again. No hiding in the caves saying, ah, final judgment, which I knew was coming deep down in my soul. It's upon me and I hope he doesn't find me. 
somehow. But instead, we receive welcome. Come and share your master's happiness. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Come, you who are blessed. This is because Jesus our King is just. And he's seen to it through his obedience and going to the cross that your sins would be paid for before you saw him face to face on his great white throne at final ju judgment. So summary, summary. Having Jesus as your king is good news because the king takes your punishment. He takes the punishment of his people's sins. He takes the punishment of his people's sins. And because the king, this is why it's good news, is also the final judge who deals with your sins with justice, yet saves you from that justice that your sins deserved. Let's pray.